If you're joining us for the first time, we are collectively reading through this book here called The Story, and it contains uh, selections uh, or passages from, from the Bible that help us to get a, a broad sweep, a, a big picture of what God's big story is, what, he's, what he wants for us, from Genesis to Revelation. And we're reading a chapter each week together. And if you'd like to join in with us and you haven't yet got one of these books, there's still some left. You can just see Beth over there at the information desk today and she will organize that for you. It's really the, the story of, of God and humanity, us. And the purpose is for us to understand who we are, you know, before God, where we've come from and where we're going. This week, as we open up chapter one, I, I pray that you will hear God speaking to you. No doubt you're going to recognize, if you did read chapter one this year, you'll recognize that we were in Genesis. And before I read some of that text, it's probably just worth quickly backgrounding, well, who is the author of Genesis? Have you ever, ever wondered who that might be? Because the author doesn't identify himself in the actual book itself. But most biblical scholars would say it's most likely Moses that would have been the author. In fact, he, he probably wrote the first five books of, our, of the Bible that we, that we own. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Num Numbers, and, and Deuteronomy, also known as the Pentateuch. And it's hypothesized that perhaps he did the bulk of his writing while the Israelite nation was wandering through the wilderness, which is good timing. And it kind of makes sense because, you know, wandering aimlessly in life is where a lot of people find themselves. When they don't know who they are and, and why they even exist. And to be honest... You know, most of our world is probably wandering. Not wondering, wandering. Does it make, are you hearing the word wandering? Good, yeah. But, I, you know, I could just see, I can picture Moses sitting there, probably white beard, you know, sitting there thinking, these wanderers, do they have purpose and value? And so he, he wrote Genesis, the story of where we, where we came from, who we are why we are the way we are. And he wrote the story of God's salvation, you know, deliverance out of Egypt and into a new life, new covenant with God in, in, a, in a new land so the Israelites would know. And, and perhaps Moses, I wonder, as he sit there writing these, writing these words, did, would he sit there thinking, gee, in thousands and thousands of years' time, there's going to be churches reading my words still and finding the same thing, the same meaning and hope. This book of beginnings has been preserved and passed down over thousands of years. I, I think sometimes we take it for granted, don't we? You know, we, we have a really special, we say, Holy Spirit-inspired book written thousands of years ago in our language, not just in English, but in, in English, today's English. You know, that we can just buy as many copies as we want. We can even... I was going to say chop it up. We can even rearrange it and, and, and have it in different formats and things like that. It's really special to have, in my opinion. The first four words of the Bible actually answer the question, where do I come from? It's on the screen. In the beginning, God. To be clear, Genesis is not the beginning of God. 
It is the beginning of us, though. God has always existed. Hard to, for our little minds to sometimes wrap around always, eternal, no beginning. But God has always existed. Creation hasn't. Humans haven't. But God has always existed even before time as we know it was created by God. Of course, many, and I would say perhaps most of the world, they don't see God as creator. They believe that this incredibly complex, finely tuned world kind of just happened from nothing. Many believe that we just came from chance, that there's no higher power or a highly intelligent creator, but I say that creation points to exactly the conclusion that there is a creator. And to me, it seems, that, it seems like it takes more faith to believe that, as I said, this incredibly complex world we live in, the complexity of our own human bodies and finely tuned planet and indescribably vast solar system and universe, I think it takes more faith to say that that just came from nothing and that there isn't an intelligent designer. There are a lot of theories about how that complexity exists, but in my opinion, the, the one, and I'm not calling it a theory, but the, one that, the idea that it comes from a creator makes sense to me. What we know about humans and about the earth and about the universe is just breathtaking. And every year we seem to know more and more and more. And in my opinion, it just reveals God more and more. You know, what we know about just one cell in our human bodies, the incredible complexity in just what goes on in that one cell is ridiculous. <laughs> surely it comes from, surely it points to, God, just one cell, the way our bodies are designed, the way we reproduce, the way our bodies have an immune system, the way we, can he we heal ourselves, you know, our various senses, the power of our brains, our nervous system, our vascular system, the fact that, you know, the way that plants can use the process called photosynthesis and turn carbon dioxide into oxygen is amazing. How our planet is perfectly placed in our solar system, you know, just a little bit closer to the sun or a little bit further away from the sun and we can't even live here. In my opinion, the universe overwhelmingly points to a creator God. But the point is, until you acknowledge the author of your life, then you're kind of wandering aimlessly. Your life will lack real purpose and value because everything hinges on those four words. In the beginning, God. This is where we have to start for the rest of the Bible to make sense. This is where we have to start for life, life to make sense. This is where we have to start for our world to make sense. Until we recognize that the Creator is in control, nothing does really make sense. Otherwise, we're just a bunch of cells walking around doing whatever we want, searching for purpose that can't really be found because, after all, we would just be an accident who evolved from nothing. There's not much purpose and value in that, is there? When you're like that, the constant search for happiness will always be fleeting until you die, and then that's it, apparently. Rejecting God as our creator removes true meaning to life. I kind of think it's depressing. And I don't know why more people don't see it. 
There's a great quote from uh, Pastor Mark Sayers. I've been listening to him a lot. He's a pastor in Melbourne from Red Church. And he often says, our world wants the kingdom, but not the king. You know what he's saying? In other words, the world recognizes the good that comes from God through our Christian faith, peace and love and respect and kindness and dignity and purpose and value, but they don't want the surrendered life to Jesus. So let's look at some lessons from the story, chapter 1 this week. Number one is this. Genesis 1 reveals a perfect creation from a creative God. That's what I saw when I was reading chapter 1 this week. This was God's original intent, a perfect creation, a perfect world. We, we clearly read about a God who was creative and purposeful. Who here loves to go on adventures around this country or around the world that we live in to see the amazing splendor of it all? Is there anybody else? You can't help but seeing something very special. Beautiful beaches, spectacular mountains, waterfalls, lakes, rivers, deserts, rolling hills, wide expanses, lush rainforests, uh, you know, Uluru, the Great Barrier Reef, Cradle Mountain, the Blue Mountains, the Great Ocean Road, Kakadu, the Kimberley, Sydney Harbour, Milford Sound, Mount Cook, the Grand Canyon, the Himalayas, the Sahara Desert, Mount Fuji, the Swiss Alps. There are just some things that came to me as I thought about how amazing our creation is. I'm just scratching the surface what we see is a God who is incredibly creative and purposeful. And Genesis 1 to 2 paints a beautiful picture of the depth of his creativity. God is creative. In fact, he made us to be creative too. At the very end of chapter 1, God takes a moment to look over everything that he's made. And here's what he declares, another four words. It was very good. Including us. We were there in that picture. Humanity was very good. Let's read how it happened. It's in page 2 to 3 in your book. It's Genesis 1, 26 to 27. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So here's the second thing I saw when I was reading chapter 2 this week. Every person on earth has value and purpose. This is why Christians are by and large pro-life. From conception to death, because each and every person is made in God's image and is valuable to God, and therefore each and every person is value, valuable to the followers of God. Pro-life means that we value the unborn as being very good, like God did. They're unique and made in God's image. We value the vulnerable and the marginalized and those who are suffering in our world because each and every one is made in God's image and is therefore very good. I was listening to a pastor the other day who was sharing how his young adult daughter had um, gone over to, to serve in, in uh, in India, in Kolkata, and uh, she was with the group that Mother Teresa used to, to lead. I think it's called the Missionaries of Charity. And she wrote this letter to her dad, and she said, Dad, I've experienced the presence of Christ among those who are suffering more than anywhere else. 
more than in the biggest church and best worship service back home. I see Christ here because those people are made in God's image and they are valuable and very good. This makes sense for us Christians because God's values that we learn through his word, they become our values, don't they? The way God values people become the way we value people. The way that Jesus sees people becomes the way that we start to see people as well. What we discover about us in Genesis 1 is that every single person is an image bearer of God Almighty. That changes how we see people, how we treat people. Humans are distinct from the rest of creation. We obviously have an intellect that comes from God and the rest of creation doesn't. We obviously have a way to relate to each other that comes from God and the rest of creation doesn't have that same way. We obviously have love and affection and a range of emotions and creative expression that the rest of creation doesn't. Each one of us is a unique work of art by the greatest artist. If you don't believe me, have a look at Psalm 139. This psalm's been a little bit familiar to some of us in the last few weeks. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my father's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. But do we? <laughs> do you? Do you know that full well? The truth that you're reading on the screen there behind me out of God's word. Forget sometimes what the world tells you. The world will say that you have to look a certain way or achieve a certain status or be popular or more talented than everybody else. And those things may be fine, but they don't contain foundational value or make you any more special to God than you already are. Once you embrace that you're fearfully and wonderfully made by the Almighty God, you discover that you do have value, high value. Your value is in who you are as an image bearer of Him. That's a wonderful gift to you, that value. And, and it should be a gift to those around us. See, people go looking for value in all the wrong places. They see it in relationships or in success or in wealth or through being popular. You know, how many Facebook likes can I get? How many followers on YouTube can I have? Accumulating expensive stuff, perhaps we think we can find value in that. But our value is based on being image bearers of God. As I said it's like a beautiful piece of art. You're like a beautiful piece of art. You know, in, on the wall in my office is a piece painted by Indigenous artist Wendy Ricks. It's part of her Amazing Grace series. I was fortunate enough that someone purchased that for me and gifted it to me. And in the corner of that, of that piece of art is her signature. Wendy Ricks. She was the creator of that beautiful piece of art. It's her way of letting everyone know who sees her creative work that it came for her. And I just say it's true of you and I. You're a beautiful creation by the hand of God. No one is like you. And God's signature is right here in Genesis 1 and Psalm 103 that we're reading. Was it 103? 139. <laughs> it's like he's signed off on you, God. <laughs> you know, Maybe if I had a little tattoo that just had his signature on it, wouldn't that be awesome? Created by God. Don't go and get a tattoo. <laughs> in case you were hearing that in the sermon today. Fearfully and wonderfully made in the image he created us, valuable. And you have purpose, because if we keep going in Psalm 139, it says, All the days 
were ordained for me, for you, they were written in your book before one of them even came to be, one of the days. Before the days even came to be, he's already worked it out. He already knows. The God of the universe created you for a purpose. You know, you may have been born into difficult circumstances. You, you may have even been a surprise to your parents. But you weren't a surprise to God. Difficult circumstances or not, God knew you were coming and he had a purpose for you. You're not worthless. You're not a mistake. Our family of origin, maybe it's a mess, but the ultimate family of origin in God's family is a really good one. No one, and I mean no one, can take your value and your purpose from you. The Bible teaches us that today. The divine value and purpose brings an end to aimless wandering. Wandering. This is why Genesis 1 is so important. The world works overtime to convince us, especially our kids, there's no creator, but I'm telling you, it's a lie from the pit of hell. Let's teach our kids why they're here. Number three I got out of the first chapter was we broke the perfection of creation. You knew we had to get there, right? Genesis 1 and 2 describes a perfect place, a perfect world, perfect creation. And at the center of, it, of this special place uh, that was called Eden was where Adam and Eve were placed to take care of the garden together. At this stage, there was no sin in the world, no evil, no disease, no suffering, no pain and no hate. We're going to get to that again one day. The relationship between God and human was perfect. Adam and Eve were also perfectly united together. Without, you know, they had no problems in their relationship. That, that sounds good, doesn't it? Genesis 2.24 says, A man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. They're united as one. There's no picture of hierarchy between Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They help each other and they care for the garden together. But you know the rest of the story. In the garden, there's two trees. There's the tree of life and there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the only thing that, that they said that you shouldn't do is go to that tree and, and take its fruit and eat it. And Adam and Eve, they let Satan tempt them and, the, and sin enters the world when they eat from that second tree, the forbidden one. And no, it's not just Eve's fault. If you read in this week, you'll see that Adam was right there beside her doing the same thing. Perfection is broken. Paradise is lost. The relationship between God and between even between each other, is fractured. And we live in that broken world still today. God confronts Adam and Eve with the consequences and they get laid out in Genesis chapter 3. And this is the curse that the world still, still lives under. Genesis 3, which is page 6 in your book, says, or he says to the woman, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe and painful labor. Uh, with painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Interesting, isn't it, that that's a consequence of sin and the curse is men ruling over women. That actually wasn't there before. That's what happened after sin entered the world. I find that interesting. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not, uh, commanded you, you must not eat from it. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. You know, a few months ago, I may have shared this before, but I was listening to this Canadian farmer on YouTube. I kind of watched, I'm interested. He's got this big farm. He has seven combine harvesters, just to give you an idea of the scale of his operation. And he was talking about the constant battle to control weeds. And he's pointing to a thistle, and it was probably about 60 centimeters high. And he was making the point that he said, this one weed can produce up to 100,000 seeds. One weed. That's why it's a constant battle. For those of you who are battling weeds in your garden, that might give you a hint. <laughs> He's making the point, that point, though, and I thought, this is the curse in Genesis 3. It's sin is serious. The curse is real. Chapter 1 goes on to talk about Adam and Eve's offspring, and, and eventually you know, we get to Noah, we get to the flood. Chapter 2 moves on to Abraham and the rest of the story, and Pastor Mark's going to help us with that one next week. But I just can't finish a sermon there. The curse can't be the conclusion to my sermon, surely. So the fourth thing is this, the rest of the story is a story of God's redemption. From chapter 2 onwards. And Jesus Christ was the means. And I can't wait to get to him in this book. We'll get there. But here's the thing. He is actually present in the creation story as well. There is another in the beginning passage in our Bibles. These are the words that John uses to open his gospel. He says, in the beginning, what's the word? That's, that means Jesus. So in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind, but the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You don't earn your value. You're valuable because God made you, and he is your father, and he sent his perfect son, the light of the world, to die for you and break the curse and redeem you. We were made to be in relationship with God. That's purpose number one for us. Begin that journey and you'll discover even more. The aimless wandering in the wilderness can come to an end. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that you, you showed us where we came from. You showed us why we're here and who we are in you. And so this morning we just said, uh, in a way, Lord, we just kind of relax into that. We sit comfortably knowing that you are our king and that we, or you are our father and we are your children. And that we have value and purpose because of you and we receive it today and church just as we're sitting here quietly
I want to invite you today, if you heard something in there that's stirring your heart, that's God calling you to Him, calling you to commit to Him, to believe in Him, to follow Him, to change your ways and be one of His children. I want to invite you to do that today just as we're sitting quietly still praying. You can just pray quietly in your heart after me. Lord, thank you for creating me. Today, I want to follow you. Forgive me for all that I have done against you. And I commit to following you in Jesus' name.